The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. How is your work life going? Business? Home? Social? How about your health? Could you make some changes? Of course you could, but how and where to start? This is Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. In this program, we'll help you identify and make the changes in your life that need to be made. And by doing so, increase your potential for success. And now, here's your host, Hemda Mizrahi. Welcome to Turn the Page. I'm Hemda Mizrahi. Can you think of a promotion that passed you by, a job offer you lost, or a relationship you might have saved if only you had communicated differently? Along these lines, have you sent text messages or emails that came across more harshly than you intended, were misconstrued, or resulted in conflict? What did those communications cost you? In some instances, you may never find out. While you can't correct every interaction that you regret, our conversation today will help you to get better results the next time around. I'm joined by collaborative communication expert, Elaine Rosenblum. She's the founder of Perform You, a consulting and mentoring firm that teaches mediation and collaborative negotiation techniques to students and professionals. Elaine will draw on her expertise as an entrepreneur, lawyer, educator, and consultant to illustrate how articulate, specific communication that is neutral rather than judgmental improves your ability to lead, innovate, reach your goals, and stand out. Elaine, thank you for flying in from your home base of Atlanta to your former home base of New York City to join me for the show. Oh, Hemda, I am thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to hear about all the work that you've done and also the suggestions that you can offer to make a very complicated skill set that is really crucial in our lives simpler for people. I'm excited to help you too. (laughs) (laughs) So as we're launching into this conversation about collaborative communication, it would be helpful if you would define what, what that term means. Collaborative communication is a way of having a conversation where by you shift your mindset um, to how can we both get more of what we want or how can I be a more active listener? And it's always it's all um, it's also a an a language choice. And it is shifting from using judgmental language to neutral language. And Why this is so timely now is because of technology. Um, Technology encourages us to abbreviate, and I would say social media is another force at work here. And social media enables us to be judgmental, and it's we're allowed to be judgmental without consequence, and we're allowed to publish things about other people or comment in a way that maybe the facts aren't always vetted. And um, 
So there's a lot of variables at play here, and collaborative communication is more and more important. And I actually teach it to people to use as a tool, especially in the professional world, to stand out um, because so few people are using collaborative language. I'll also tell you how, um, how you can use it as part of design thinking to create innovation. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like it's a framework where there's a real give and take where you have this experience that there's room for everyone in the conversation and that everyone is important and that you want to work toward a positive outcome. Yeah, it is. It's managing a conversation. And um, I pull from some marketing principles and mediation technique to teach people to be aware of what's happening in the conversation, the role they play, and how just from shifting their mindset in a few words, uh, they can change outcomes and from a professional perspective, be seen as a more powerful manager. Mm-hmm. And along the lines of management, is there an illustration that you can offer of a situation, someone you might have worked with who was a manager and you helped that person to really improve the communication strategies he or she was using? Um, I mean, one person comes to mind uh, that uh, a young man who was working for a boss who uh, was essentially a bully. And I've actually worked with several people who worked for the same man. And a lot of uh, the collaborative conversation piece in that instance came from um, engaging their own value within the organization and them embracing that. And then their communicating their self-respect across the table. When you're dealing with a bully, it's a very specific set of skills that you have to employ. And the first thing that you have to do is take ownership. And then take ownership, but with a collaborative bent. And when you are both courageous um, and collaborative, um, that's where the magic really happens. Mm-hmm. So in this particular situation, you were working directly with the manager who was considered to be a bully? No, no, I wasn't working. I wasn't trying to correct the bully. The bully was the boss. I, I mean, he owned the place. There was, the bully wasn't going away. It was a bunch of people who worked for the bully. Okay. And what was funny about it was that the people who brought me in didn't even know what to call what I did. They just kept <laughs> calling me in and going, just do whatever it is that you do. Mm-hmm. And basically, I was teaching all of these different managers how to work with this bully and still feel good about themselves. And a lot of that was about owning their own self-respect and then having the courage to voice their point of view. And once they did that, the bully backed down Mm. because the bully is scratching and looking um, to incite drama. And if they can't get it, if you're calm as a cucumber and owning your um, your point of view with courage and respect, it's very hard for a bully to, you know, get their fix, so to speak. So in this situation, this is a really valuable example because so many of us face situations where, like you say, the bully won't go away or it could be someone else, obviously, who has other characteristics that we're finding challenging So we're taking a look at how we're reacting in those situations and adjusting our own reactions such that we can really feel good about it 
and you're saying also the reaction of, of the other person who you find challenging changes in that process as well. Yes. Well, the, the, I'm glad you said that because it brings up an important point. You can't control anybody else in the room. The only person that you can control in the room is yourself. And if you're acting with your own self-respect and you're giving respect to others, which is part of the collaborative piece, um, you will feel better about what's going on in the room. If you don't end up reaching your goal or getting exactly what you want, you'll have the courage, we actually just talked about this, to walk out the door and Mm -hmm. leave. But nobody should work in an environment unless you absolutely have to. And I realize there are people who cannot afford to leave their job. Um, But if you can help it, you'll be much more productive in an environment that is characterized by respect. And what's interesting is when you start giving respect, you'll start getting it back. Mm -hmm. And that's where controlling yourself is plays into that whole equation. Right. So somehow it reminds me of this study that was done by Catalyst, which is an organization that does a lot of research on women in the workplace Uh and how oftentimes we can respond to someone the way that they're treating us. Is uh-huh. how we respond. So if someone looks at you and talks to you in a way that's diminishing, uh-huh. you might actually feel diminished and respond from that place, right? Which, and not come across as being competent, right? And it de it, and so in order to de-escalate that or diffuse that, if you give respect to somebody, or in the alternative, you if somebody is disrespectful to you, you say, you know. There's a way to say that that's more respectful, and I would really appreciate it if you could offer me um, some respect, and in turn, I will give it to you as well. If you put that on the table and own your position, um, in all likelihood, the person on the other side of the table will follow suit. So it's about taking responsibility and owning the situation as far as you're concerned. And the rest you can't control. You can only control yourself. So that's an interesting point because it sounds like it's the flip side of the example that I offered around the Catalyst study that took a look at people being in situations, let's say it could be that you're being interviewed Uh and maybe in the mind of the interviewer, they're seeing you as less and you respond Mm -hmm. accordingly. So in this particular situation that you talked about, you're seeing yourself as more. You're giving yourself a lot of respect. And so you're not going to shrink. Right, right. I mean, when I am coaching people or mentoring people, a lot of what I'm doing, whether I'm prepping them for a college interview or a job interview, I am building them up and helping them understand what their value is, either in general or as seen through the eyes of a potential university or through a potential employer. And, and so that they can own their self-respect. And, and I explain how they're valuable or how the interviewing organization views them. And then they can own their space. And then it's very hard to tear somebody down who, if they really believe in their own value in any situation. That sounds like a crucial point that we really essentially have to assess in any situation we're in, the value that we're bringing. 
Yes, yes. Um, and, and I don't think we get enough of that in our world. I think people struggle with understanding their value in many, many different situations. I, I, going back to the bully, I, every one of those people that worked in that organization needed a good dose of self-respect. And that's not a coincidence. The person who was the bully who owned the organization hires people that he thinks he can bully, but he actually respects them more when they go up against him with their own self-respect. He's looking for that. He's mm-hmm. testing you. Right, and that's what he needs also. Yeah, right? yeah. He needs someone to push back so that he can act differently. Right, exactly. So once you own your own self-respect, nobody else can really touch you. And I think you can influence other people by giving out respect and giving out collaboration. And um, that really changes organizations. So the key points you're mentioning have to do with assessing your value in any one situation, really demonstrating self-respect in your communication. Mm -hmm. And in this particular situation, just to offer a concrete illustration of maybe some of the language that you might suggest... Um, okay, a very simple example that I use all the time when I'm teaching is um, the example where you're sitting in your office and someone barges in and says, you missed the deadline, I'm going to kill you, or you're an idiot. And the person in response says, I'm not an idiot, and responds and escalates the conversation, whereas the person who's done some collaborative training might say I wasn't aware of a deadline or um, they might say can you tell me more about the deadline or and they might be doing that just to buy themselves more time Um, but they're they're de-escalating the situation and they are um, engaging the other person in a conversation about the issue rather than an argument and a character assassination. And we don't have to look very far. Um, I don't want to get into who's right, who's wrong, but politics and the the debates have really, really demonstrated how, how unproductive Um, character assassinations are. They don't do anything for anybody. And when somebody says you're an idiot, that's a character assassination. So learning how to control a situation like that, de-escalate it and have a conversation about the real issues is a leadership tool. It sounds like a problem-solving approach. It is. And and some of the approach I use um, comes, it's sort of a cross-section between Um, marketing and design thinking and legal analysis, critical and analytical thinking with regard to assessing the issues at hand. So you're stepping back and you're looking at it from a more logical point of view without self-blame. Yes, and then I'm using problem solving and brainstorming as a way to engage somebody in solutions when I know you're giving me time. Um, when we come back, I will tell you a funny story about that uses all of those elements um, in a very escalated situation um, 
it's a plain story that I use in a lot of my presentations and people always remember it. I meet people all the time that I trained years ago and they'll say, oh, the plain story. It's amazing how people remember this story, but it's a common story. Excellent. And it would be great, actually, just as we're getting ready to go to commercial, if you would define design thinking. Design thinking is um, a problem-solving, future-looking point of view. So if you think of science, scientific problem solvers, they're looking at the problem and design thinkers look at the solution. That's a very simple understanding of it. Okay. Well, we're going to have to come back after commercial to be able to learn a little bit more about that. So we're going to go to a quick commercial. When we return, we're going to hear the plain story. (laughs) And Elaine will also share why communicating collaboratively requires you to use concrete, specific language. Regardless of what you might be negotiating or selling, you'll learn how you can effectively set yourself apart. Stay with us. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. There are two types of leaders in business. Those who are nice, compassionate people. And frankly, they are the people who fail to get a lot done. Then there are those who can get everything done and so much more. But they are greedy, unethical, and self-centered. The Compassionate Samurai Business Hour with Kathy Fairbanks finds a way to use the best of both types of leaders to help you create a dynamic roadmap to success. Tune in every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Business. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. Welcome back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi with collaborative communication expert Elaine Rosenblum. Elaine touched on how the the rise in technology can lead to miscommunication, create conflict, and impede forward movement if you don't use collaborative communication tactics. So I'd like to hear a little bit more about that, Elaine, how you see technology affects our ability to communicate. Well, I I think technology, especially smartphone technology, um, let's take the uh, case of texting. 
Um, texting encourages us to abbreviate and use um, use acronyms, and then we also have um, we have self correct. You know, the self correct on the smartphone, which further creates the opportunity for miscommunication. I mean, how many times have you... I read an article, I think, in the New York Times that was an op-ed about all the funny things your phone actually says in the (laughs) self-correction. So you've got abbreviation, you've got self-correct and smart technology, and we're all moving at the speed of light. And that is just further creating problems in terms of our ability to communicate. And in fact, um, I communication and communicating, articulating with specificity and being collaborative is intentional. And it's a muscle. And you have to continually work the muscle. So for Seasoned professionals, even though every day they've they've got the muscle, you've got to exercise it to keep it up. And I think because our world moves so fast, a lot of times people are searching for words. Um, In young people, and I work with a lot of high school students and college students and grad students, they have grown up with smart technology and texting, and they they really struggle with the face-to-face conversation because they're not having many of them. When they're with their peers, they're texting as between themselves. Um, at school, they're sitting in a classroom, but they're not having a lot of face-to-face conversation. And I think that a lot of times when I'm working with them, they're, the first time they come in, they're, they're visibly uncomfortable because they're so not used to having a face-to-face conversation. Their parents all tell me they'd much rather text than talk to them. Um, I, know, I know they all communicate. I see with my friends who have older children, they're constantly texting their children. And I know with my young students, they do not want to talk on the phone to me. They only, we schedule and communicate all via text. So um, all of those forces are at work, and um, they're affecting our communication. They're eroding our communication skills. So the irony here is that we have more ways to communicate than ever, mm-hmm. but our, the quality of our communication seems to be downgrading or eroding. So what would your recommendation be? My recommendation is, well, first and foremost, If you're texting, text in full words. Try to avoid using abbreviations. And I think just as a matter of professionalism, check your text. Read them before you send. We all, I mean, even I do it occasionally. I hit send and then look back at the message and say, oh, my gosh, that is not what I meant to say. So, and in that instance, the paradigm and model I use for collaborative communication is send another text and self-correct yourself. You will impress the receiver, especially if it's a professional communication, a lot more if you self-correct and and try to intentionally say what it is that you meant to say. Um, I often send texts that say, um, I apologize, there was uh, a misspelling or um, I misspoke in my past text, in my prior text, um, but this is what I meant to say, and then I write it out specifically. Mm-hmm. So avoid abbreviations, and if you did make an error that you don't catch until after the text is already sent, it's correct. a good strategy. Correct. Yeah. I de- own it. 
take responsibility for it. Um, mm. People will respect you more for owning your mistake than just letting it sit there. Unless, I mean, there's some that are personal communications between, let's say, a husband and wife or child and parent. It's not necessary in that instance. But the more clarity you can bring to the equation in any kind of communication is helpful. Mm-hmm. And what would you say also to parents by way of guidance, since that sounds like you brought up a really significant issue that you're meeting with young people and finding that they're having a harder time communicating one-on-one? Yes, and they're, yes, they are having a harder time communicating one-on-one. Um, I would say um, one piece of advice for parents is that you absolutely tell your young family members that they cannot have a phone at the dinner table. Um, that would help tremendously. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I am out to dinner with another family and the children are texting under the table. And sometimes so are the parents. <laughs> um, but have a face-to-face conversation. You'll actually find that it's more rewarding and that your um, spirits are lifted from that human-to-human, eye-to-eye contact. There's something very significant about it. I would say as technology penetrates our society, the levels of anxiety and um, depression have gone up. And I think there is a definite correlation. I don't have the science in front of me, but I know there's some science behind that. Mm -hmm. And like you said, if you're out of practice around communicating in, in someone's presence, right. then you actually can become more anxious about that. Right. It can be harder to do and you might be more resistant to it. Right. And um, they also, if you're not writing in full sentences, if you're not, there, there's something cathartic about writing for a lot of people. And not doing so also weakens that communication muscle. And it's harder to find your words. And um, I, I, I just think the more you could write and the more you could have face-to-face conversations, the more you are strengthening that muscle. And Elaine, you were talking to me about the work that you're doing with young people and preparing them for interviews and other types of conversations, and it's been really transformative. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that, especially for parents who are in situations where they want to encourage more of that with their kids. Um, well, I've, I've actually, I think, some of the more challenging um, situations have been people who truly have social anxiety around having a conversation and um, working with some of these young people to teach them that they are completely capable of having a conversation and that the fear of judgment is very, is very human that we all at times feel it and that, People do want to hear what you have to say. A lot of times it's more my saying, you have something interesting to say. And then when they leave, they go, oh, this was so helpful. Not only did it relieve their anxiety about having a conversation, but I think it's relieved some of their anxiety, just their loneliness (laughs) from not having eye-to-eye conversations. Um, Another angle on this is uh, my husband and I own a standardized test tutoring company and my my company sort of flowed in and out of it. Um, And uh, 
so many, so often, all of our tutoring is one-on-one, and so often parents come up to me in the grocery store in Atlanta and say, I don't know what y'all are doing in there, and mm-hmm. they, we, we say y'all. <laughs> um, but my child does not complain about coming to SAT tutoring, which, you know, is not fun. And um, I think truly, I honestly believe that it is one of the few face-to-face conversation, one-on-one conversations that these young people are having in their, in their week. And I think that they, we humans need that. We need that human bonding. Another thing that just jogged my memory is so many of my young students say cause. And I'm, I'm constantly saying because, <laughs> because, the word is because. Some of them do not know that it's not cause, it's because. So those are the kinds of things that for now, I always tell my students, for now, people like me are making the rules. When you're the boss and you make the rules, if you want to change them, you can mm-hmm. change them. They may change, mm-hmm. but the standard right now is what I'm challenging you to do. It brings to mind an article in the New York Times, a recent article from February about Google Uh and the research that it did to build the perfect team. Uh That's part of the title of the article. And what they discovered through this very extensive research process, that the teams that were the highest performing were actually the ones, you're nodding, so maybe you read this article. They were the ones where people had relatively equal talk time. Mm-hmm. the members of the team, and also there was an empathy that was shown, meaning there was a sense of inclusiveness. Mm-hmm. The other team members were sensitive to where everyone else was at, whether people felt included or not. Mm-hmm. And it ties in very well with what we're talking about today. Actually, Hemda, thank you. You just brought up a, a very important point. I, I've been talking about respect and using and giving respect but part of respect is empathy it's a huge part of it actually and um how and and i believe that you know the google research sounds very on point to me that you really do have to show another person that you understand where they're coming from and the struggle we have as i think let's call it Americans for, for argument's sake, is that we, we make a mistake, that it's, it's a faulty assumption, that if we are empathic to another's point of view, that we are agreeing with their point of view. And that's the struggle we have with all these political campaigns right now. They turn a, a, an empathic, interpretation of a point of view into a character assassination. There's this association that people make. And it's not true. Just because I could say, well, Hemda, I don't agree with you. I can understand how someone in your position might see the issues that way. And where this comes up, especially with young people, or, you know, I usually... They asked me about politics and interviewing in college, for college interviews. And I always say, you know, you can have a point of view. College is about having a point of view. I just, if you, let's say hypothetically you disagree with some of Obama's policies, then say that. Say, well, I don't agree with some of the president's policies. 
I do not think that makes him a bad human being. Separate the policy from the character, and that's where the analysis comes in Mm. that I teach people. Well, we couldn't talk about this today without talking about politics, especially (laughs) with what's basically the whole race that's happening in the United States right now. Right. I don't want to have a point of view on that. I just um, think it's such a beautiful illustration of some of the points I'm trying to make today. It's... um, it sort of knocks you over. And personally, I have some concern for the fallout of the current um, political campaign because I think it does affect people. And I know there's many people who can't even have political discussions and political discourse because they end up, it ends up being a character assassination. Actually, I've just been approached very recently about doing some work around the idea of civility. Well, it seems like also the point that you're making is that you could still be validating of another person's perspective and disagree with them at the same time. Absolutely. And, and, and the two are not mutually exclusive. And it is a very important part of giving respect is saying, well, I understand how you might see it that way. Or you could simply say, let's agree to disagree because that's not how I see it. Um, but be respectful about it. Don't say you're an idiot or you're stupid because you feel that way. And that's a core technique of Imago relationship therapy. Okay, so tell me about that. Which was founded by Harville Hendricks. Uh-huh. And this is part of his model. One of the components of the model is when you say to the other person, it makes sense that mm-hmm. you would feel mm-hmm. sad uh-huh. because of this very traumatizing and difficult experience that you had. Right, exactly. You don't, and, you, and, and the danger is that you don't want to say, I know how you feel if you've never walked a mile in that person's shoes. That's a very dangerous place to go. Mm-hmm. So you want to say, I imagine, is one of my favorite starter phrases for a situation like this. I imagine that if I were you that X, Y, Z, that you might see it that way, or you might be offended by that, or you might feel sad about that or frustrated. Um, a lot of the technique of shifting from the judgmental to the neutral is, is, is shifting away from words and putting judgmental words on other people. I really appreciate that choice of language because I think sometimes that's what we struggle for. Even if you have the intention that you want to be validating, sometimes don't find the words. Right. And that's where the specificity piece comes in. And that's the true art form of collaborative communication. And probably the part I love teaching the most because it sounds harder than it is. And we all make mistakes. And I love to teach people how to self-correct gracefully. So we have, as part of this collaboration collaborative communication experience, we're talking about empathy, we're talking about validation, we're talking about self-respect, recognizing your value adds, using specific terms. Mm -hmm. Specificity, my favorite word. (laughs) And also the other component, which we'll talk more about, which is moving from a judgmental place to more of neutral language in your Mm -hmm. communication. Yes. Yes, we can tell the plain story, and that will illustrate it. Okay, we're, we want to keep you with us, so we mm-hmm. saved the plain story 
for the next segment. So we're going to go to a brief commercial. And when we come back, you will hear about the plain story. (laughs) We'll talk more about specificity and also moving from the judgmental to the neutral. We'll be right back. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace, Every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need exactly when you need it? so you can make the right decision every single time. Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. We're back. I am Hemda Misrahi, joined by collaborative communication expert Elaine Rosenblum. Elaine discussed the importance of speaking in very concrete terms, such as when you're interviewing for a job and you want to ensure that the interviewer has a clear sense of what makes you unique. And we've been promised you the plain story, so I think now is a good time for you to tell that story, Elaine. Well, the plain story is more about an everyday situation, and it's 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 sort of illustrates how collaborative language fits into our everyday life and how you can change outcomes um, if you just think about it and have a little bit of awareness about it. So the plain story is that I was actually getting on a plane 
to uh, go to the Olympics right after 9-11. In the Olympics, it was the Winter Olympics, and it was in Utah. And you better believe that there were federal marshals on the plane. And um, I had to get, it was when I lived in New York, and I had to get to Kennedy Airport, and I think the plane took off at 7, and I um, had to get up at 5 o'clock, and I had to blow dry my hair, and I was exhausted because I had to give a presentation to Coca-Cola that day in Utah. And I knew I wanted to sleep on the plane so I could be fresh for my presentation. And um, I get to the airport, and prior to my launching a collaborative negotiation business, I actually worked in corporate marketing, and um, I had a lot of airline clients. So I knew how to get three across empty seats. So I went up to the gate agent and I said, you know, I really want three across. Do you have three across? And she sort of gave me this look and she said, I think I'm going to have it for you. And she nodded to me as I got on the plane that she gave me three across so I could lay down. I'm not that tall. And I was very excited about this. And I got on the plane and I not so smartly sat in the window seat of three across and across the aisle one row up there were three men and there was a man sitting on the aisle and as the I was puffing up my pillows Uh and as I was you know the plane was pulling out and taxiing down the runway he got up and jumped into the aisle seat and um, I'm sure a lot of people have had this issue when you are envisioning yourself three across sleeping across the country. So um, I looked at him and I said, you're not going to sit there, are you? <laughs> and he said, I sure am going to sit, sit here in this seat. You didn't buy this seat. You, you know, you're not paying for it. I can sit here. And I said, oh. <gasps> please don't sit in that seat. I really need to sleep. I have a big presentation today in Utah. And it was very clear he and his buddies were going skiing in Utah. They were not on a business trip. And he is saying, there's no way you didn't pay for this seat. How dare you? You're not, you know, you're entitled. And he started yelling at me. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I have this big presentation and there are federal marshals on the plane, and they are <laughs> going to kick us off. And so I was trying to think very quickly what I should do. And I said, I looked at him and I went, I have a proposal for you. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I'll let you sit here for the last two hours of the flight if you let me lay down and sleep for the first two hours of the flight. And you, after two hours, you can tap me on the shoulder. And he said, deal. And that is how we resolved the issue. Now, when I teach this, um, there were a few things I didn't do so well. So I'm going to point out to you what I didn't do well. First of all, I said, I will let you sit here, you know, for the second two hours if you let me. And if I, that was really not a collaborative offer. Um, so what would have been better is if I had said, I have a proposal for you and you always want to tell the person that you're proposing to what they're going to get first so that they can hear what you want. So instead of saying, um, I would, I will let you, I would say, how about if you 
sit here for the last two hours. And that's phrased very specifically because I want him to know he's getting something first and then I'm going to ask for what I want. (laughs) And if you do it the reverse and you talk about what you want first and then talk about what the other person may or may not want or, you know, proffering a suggestion, um, you might lose them because they're like, I don't care what you want. I just care what I want. So... Um, that language piece is is very, very important. Um, the other teaching point in that example is that it was escalating, and I was getting nervous that those federal marshals were coming to haul us <laughs> off the plane by the collar. And, um, and so I quickly said, I have a proposal, and that is a great way to cut escalation. I think I use it, I've used it many, many times when I just see a situation. Even if I'm sort of mediating between my son and a friend who are having an argument, if, if you interject, I have a proposal for you, um, a lot of times you can get people to stop and just listen. And um, so it's a good little tool. Everything that you're saying makes sense. Starting off with the other person's needs mm-hmm. really is also a way of validating. Uh-huh. You see them. Their needs empathy. are important. It goes to empathy, actually, because I, I am taking into consideration his need before I try to have my need met. So that seems to put someone in a more open space, a more receptive space to be able to take in what you're saying. Mm-hmm. It's very strategic and, and analytical. Yes. And then the idea of offering a proposal also sounds very encouraging. Just when you said that, I felt more expanded. Yes. You know, that, okay, there is a solution here. It's something more uplifting. It's more positive. There's a way forward when you're feeling that you're almost going to be in a tug of war. And interestingly, you use the word solution. And while solution is very forward-looking and very related to design thinking, solution may not have been as good a word as proposal, because proposal is an idea that you're putting in the middle of the table. Solution means you came up with the idea, there's some ego attached to that. So proposal's a more neutral word when we talk about shifting from the judgmental to the neutral. Solution, if you take, I have a solution, you've taken ownership of it, and you have Essentially, some people might hear it as you have one up them. So I'm just, I'm, I'm turning up your sensitivity to um, judgmental versus neutral. I appreciate that. <laughs> That's really helpful. Yeah, good. As I'm we're glad. being very mindful of the specific wording and the impact that it can have on other people. Right, and, and, and thinking about it, and, and, and it's very important to think about how somebody else hears something, sees something. You have to see the world and and propose the world and discuss the world through the other person's eyes and not through your eyes. And that's very hard for people to do. It's it's a it's a target audience marketing concept of, you know, when we developed products for or we talk spoke to an advertising audience, we had to speak in terms of the consumer's minds, not our minds. We weren't trying to we weren't buying the product. We were trying to get somebody else to buy the product. It's the exact same principle. How do you put yourself in that space? Maybe someone has spent a day with you, Elaine. They've been lucky enough mm-hmm. to be able to get this coaching and to be able to practice. And then that person is in a situation. You may have had stories like this. Mm-hmm. And then they come back to you and say, 
Well, I had everything ready. I was so excited about it. I was mindful and then I lost it uh-huh. because I had this emotional reaction right. to the moment and I couldn't regroup. And you get thrown off your game. And if you're the on the receiving end of a character assassination, it really could throw you off your tracks. Um, a lot of times if you've had some digestion time and you've gotten away from the situation, I'll say call the person and say, we had a conversation earlier in the day and I was really uncomfortable with the outcome or I was really uncomfortable with this part of the conversation and I would like to revisit it and then have a conversation about whatever the outcome was that you were uncomfortable with. Um, It's all in how you come to it, but you can always self-correct. You can always revisit something. and a lot of times in the professional world, if you do that, you um, gain points with the other person. They're impressed that you, you went to bat again. And the same is true if you, um, let's say you mess up and you insult somebody or you throw someone under the bus um, and you realize that you embarrass someone in a, in a group meeting. Go to that person in private later and say, I owe you an apology. I, you know, positioned your role in this situation and in, in, in a way to all these other people that made you look bad. And I threw you under the bus in front of a group of people. And I am happy to write an email saying that that was wrong of me and publicly apologizing if you like. You will win huge points with somebody. And that's about taking responsibility, taking ownership, and showing that you have integrity, which is a whole nother show, (laughs) talking Mm -hmm. about integrity. That is also reassuring because as you're practicing these techniques of collaborative communication, of course, it takes time to implement them in a way that you feel comfortable with, in a way that's smooth. So just bearing in mind that you can come back and and engage in that same type of dialogue that you had on the plane where you have a discussion about what would make it better for the other person. So maybe they might have some ideas too about Right. What you could do to if make it If you have better. more time and a plane isn't taking off and you're not <laughs> dealing with federal marshals, you can engage the other person and they will hopefully come into the problem-solving mode with you and you might come up with a better solution than you could have ever thought of on your own. And there's all this psychology to, you know, the people in the agreement having ownership in the solution increases the likelihood of adherence to the agreement. That's why in the mediation room, we always actually write an agreement, even if it's not a legally binding agreement, which it would not be in a mediation. Um, Most mediations, I can't think of an exception off the top of my head, and I don't want to go there. But it, 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 it does increase adherence and it has another valuable point, which is if you write something down, an agreement, you have what's called objective criteria and you can refer back to it if you have a disagreement going forward. It's nice to also be liberated by the idea that you don't have to figure it out. You don't have to be responsible Oh, I think on your two, own for making it better. Right. Um, two brains are better than one. And every time I try to come up with a solution to something, uh, inevitably, if I invite somebody else and invite, there's a collaborative word. If I invite somebody else to help me with a solution, help me brainstorm, inevitably, 
the solution is a better solution. And I could make the analogy with innovation and creativity. Um, I mean, in our knowledge-based economy, innovation and creativity are based on the whole idea that two brains are better than one. And Google and all the tech companies, the way they hire now is people who come from many different disciplines and they, you know, put them all on the same problem. And that's really the premise of design thinking. Mm. So we have about a minute left. Is there anything more that you'd want to say about moving from more of a judgmental mindset and language to the neutral? Um, There are a bunch of buzz terms that I are sort of my default buzz terms that keep me in neutral as much as possible. Um, If someone is angry with you, I would say one of the defaults is what are your concerns? It works in many, many, many different instances where you're talking to somebody and they're going around in circles. You just say, what are what exactly are your concerns? And you get to stop them in that in that place where they can't stop themselves or if you're having an argument and just take a step back and say, let's take a step back for one minute and please tell me what your true concerns are because a lot of times the argument has nothing to do with their real concerns. That's my, that would be my one piece of advice with this little time left. Right. So we don't, as opposed to making assumptions about what the person's concerns are, what's important to them, Oftentimes, you actually might be able to move through the situation more gracefully if you just tap into if you invite their them own to voice their concerns and help them define them. Thank you, Elaine. This has been phenomenal. This is framework that we can work with that hopefully is juicing everyone up to learn more and to be really mindful of the words that you're using. So, using Elaine's words. I'm going to invite you to visit Elaine's website, proformu.com. That's P-R-O-F-O-R-M-U.com to learn more about the tremendous work that she and her team are doing in teaching students and professionals at all levels to collaboratively communicate in any context. Their results include excellence in academics, career, and other aspects of their clients' lives. If you have unanswered questions about today's episode, please email them to me at hosthemda at gmail.com. We'll post responses through our social media sites, which you can access by following me on Twitter at Hemda Mizrahi and liking us on Facebook at Turn the Page Radio. One more point. If you like the original musical composition you hear on our show, it was created by a very talented pianist and composer named Ivory Adrian. Ivy composes original pieces for TV, film, and other media platforms. She can be reached at Ivy, I-V-Y, at I-V-Y-Adrian, A-D-R-I-A-N.com. Until next week, remember to make the grass greener where you are. I'm Hemda Mizrahi inviting you to turn the page. Thank you for tuning in to our program. Turn the Page can be heard live every Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week's show, enjoy your weekend and make one change in your life before then.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.